Hey there, thanks for tuning in to the Captain's Log Sermons. You'll be hearing Nathan preach not only at Liberty Grace Church, but also at surrounding churches. We hope that this is an encouragement to you and that you're blessed. Well, I don't know if you guys uh, read the email that Daryl sent out a little earlier this week uh, about the service, but he said in that email that we were going to be working through a particularly challenging passage together this Sunday. And... uh, I don't know about you, but that, uh, that passage that we just read certainly seems to live up to that description as being a, a particularly challenging one. And we're gonna, get, we're gonna get to that in a second, but I wanna start with asking you a question. And that is, when you, when you come to church on Sunday evening, what's on your mind? What, what are you thinking about when you walk through those doors on a Sunday evening? Or even think about when you were getting ready to come here this evening, what was going through your mind? You know, maybe you were thinking about what you were gonna wear when you came to church. Maybe you were thinking about who you were gonna see, who you were gonna talk to, or, or where you were gonna sit, this or, or, or that. What goes through your mind when you're getting ready to come to church on a Sunday? Well, you, you probably have uh, quite a few questions after hearing uh, that passage that was just read for us. And I really don't blame you. One of the commentators that I was reading uh, this past week as I was preparing for this pointed out that this passage, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1 to 16, is, is one of, if not the most challenging passages to interpret in the entire New Testament. And so if, if you heard that and you have a lot of questions about what we just read, don't worry, because you, you are absolutely not alone in that. And it can be pretty shocking. Like there, there may be some of you who, who didn't know that a passage like that was actually in the Bible, or, or, or maybe you knew that that was in there and you've never known what to do with it. So as you're reading, you get to that, and you, you, just kinda, you just kinda skip over it because you don't really know what to do with it. Or, or maybe there are some of you who, even after just hearing that read, are about ready to, to get up and walk out. Because in this passage, Paul deals a lot with the, the idea of genders and the difference between them. And he deals with this topic in a way that, for our culture, would be considered pretty, pretty extreme and, and pretty crazy. And, and that's putting it uh, pretty gently. I don't think our, our culture would necessarily put it quite that gently. And over the years, this uh, passage has been the source of a lot of discussion. People have, people have interpreted this passage and, and applied this passage in a whole bunch of different ways. So as we go through this chapter together, we may not be able to answer every little question that comes up, because there are, there are quite a few of them. But what I'm hoping we're going to do today is, as we work through this is that by the end, I, I want us to begin to understand why Paul would write a passage like this and, and begin to understand what this might have meant for the church in Corinth, as well as what these words may mean for us today. As we come to a passage like this, and, and really this is true for any time that we approach the Word of God, but specifically when we come to passages that are, are as challenging as this one can be, there's some important things that we need to remember and, and some questions that we need to be asking as, as we're coming to a passage like this. 
Now we, we need to consider the context of this passage if we're going to have any hope of understanding it and, and getting what this means. And so first, it, it's important to remember that Paul is writing the book of 1 Corinthians for a reason. You know, as we, we've been going over a, a number of weeks now, a number of months really, going through this gospel lens series, we've seen how every passage that we've looked at has been Paul's way of, of addressing a specific situation or a specific issue that the church in Corinth was having. Each passage is designed to, to address an issue that they were facing. And so we have to ask ourselves, why did Paul write this? You know, if, if every passage is meant to address an issue the church was having, why write this? What issue was he, was he addressing? You know, it seems here like we, we've moved on from the issue of laying down our rights, which is what we've been looking at for the past three weeks. So Paul is, is jumping from one very sensitive issue right into another one. But it seems here that he's addressing something a little bit new, and so we have to ask, what specific situation is Paul writing this passage to address? That's, that's the first question we have to keep in mind. And another thing that we have to consider is that Paul wrote these words to a church that existed in a very particular, uh, a very particular point in time and, and a cultural context. And it's a context that's very different from the culture and the context that we live in today. And so while, while there is a truth in this passage that applies to us, no matter what our context, no matter what our situation, there are also elements of this passage that are specific to the culture that he was writing to. And with that being said, we, we can't just dismiss every countercultural idea that we see in this passage on, on the basis of Paul writing for a specific time and place. We can't look at this passage and say that doesn't line up with our culture, so it's invalid. And that's part of what makes this passage such a difficult one for so many people. You know, to understand what Paul is saying here, we have to ask what timeless principles Paul is teaching, what timeless principle is Paul teaching to the church that we need to learn from and, and apply to our lives? And on, on the other end of that, what elements of this passage are meant for a specific time and culture? So that's the second question we have to keep in mind as we're, as we're working through this. So let's start with looking at just verses two and three. As Paul says, now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. And so Paul begins, kind of unusually for this letter, actually commending the church. You know, as we've looked through 1 Corinthians, you don't see a lot of that. You don't see a lot of Paul commending the church. But, but he is here. He's commending them because they're upholding the, the traditions that he taught them. We're not exactly sure what traditions he's, he's referring to there. But the things that he's been teaching them, they've, they've been following and, and listening to. But then verse 3, it begins with an incredibly important word, and I highlight this almost every time it shows up in, in a passage that we're looking through, and it's the word, but. He says, I commend you because you're, you're listening to what I told you, but I want you to understand. 
And so while the church, they are being faithful to uphold the traditions that, that Paul's taught them, it, it seems like they've gotten off track a little bit. They're, they're missing the mark a bit, and, and some things are getting confused. So Paul's trying to clarify uh, a bit of what he's talking about. And so throughout this passage, our biggest question as we read this really should, shouldn't be asking, should women be wearing head coverings in church today? I don't think that's the right question to be asking here because I don't think that gets really at the heart of what Paul is talking about. Rather, our question should be what underlying biblical truth is prompting Paul to write to the Corinthians about this issue and how does that truth impact how we worship God today? Now, I'll say that again. What biblical truth is prompting Paul to write to the Corinthians about this issue? And how does that truth impact how we worship God today? That's, that, that's kind of the key question for this passage that we need to have running through our mind as we're reading. Because I think at the heart of this, it's important to realize that while, while Paul is dealing a lot with the idea of, of gender here, and he, he's tackling that kind of head on, his goal isn't to explain every little detail that there is to know uh, about, about our gender and, and how that functions. You know, there, there are a number of passages throughout Scripture that, that talk about gender. And so what Paul's saying here should be, should be read in context of, of those other passages and what is taught elsewhere in Scripture regarding this topic. But Paul's, Paul's not going into all of that. He's assuming that the church already knows some of the things that, that he's taught them during the time that he lived with them as he was establishing the church. He's assuming that, that they know those things. So he's not reteaching everything in this area. He, he, he's just trying to clarify and, and reinforce some things that he's taught them. Specifically, what Paul's doing is, is he's dealing with how the church is called to conduct themselves in a worship setting, kind of like a, a Sunday service setting. How, how are they called to behave in that setting? And that's the main topic he really focuses on for the next couple of, of chapters. We'll see that for a few weeks now. And he starts that here with talking about how our gender actually plays into our worship. And as we look at the way that Paul talks here, it seems he's primarily talking about the, the relationship between a husband and wife throughout this passage. And, and that's not to say that this passage is only applicable if you're married, but that is the primary relationship that Paul's kind of got in his mind uh, as, he's, uh, as he's talking here. And so in his response that the, uh, to the issue that the Corinthians were having, there's, there's really two important things that, that we should be learning and understanding from what Paul says here. And they're both very important. We, we can't sort of take one and not take the other. There's two very important things about the way that our gender impacts how we worship our creator. And I want to be clear right, right off the bat so there's no confusion. One of the things that Paul is teaching in this passage is not that women should come to church with their heads covered. That is not what he is teaching in this passage. And there are, there are people who, who interpret the passage that way. But if, if you notice, my wife is not wearing a head covering in coming to church today. And, and she doesn't most weeks uh, when it's negative 20 outside and she's cold. Sometimes she'll wear a hat. But other than that, she doesn't come to church with, with her head covered. I don't think that's what Paul is teaching in this passage. Well, the first lesson that Paul does 
teach for us here is that God created both men and women with different qualities to function differently from one another. I mean, honestly, in, in our culture, even that can be, can be a, difficult, a difficult thing to wrap our minds around. We, we live in a culture that is constantly seeking after equality. You know, we, we want equality between genders. We want equality between races, equality between classes, and, and the list goes on. And, and again, to be clear, so there's no misunderstanding, that is a good thing. That is a good thing. You know, we believe that everyone is made equally in the image of God and that seeking after that equality is a very good thing. But specifically, when it comes to men and women, our, our culture can tend to take that quest for equality as the need to remove any sense of, of distinction or uniqueness from either gender. And, and that's not so good. You know, to, to try to destroy any sense of distinction from one gender to another, it actually keeps us from appreciating the beautiful ways that God made us distinct from one another. You know, in verses 4 and 5, Paul makes it quite clear that in his view, there is very much a difference between men and women. And, and that difference was meant to be shown in the way that they worshipped in the church. In verse 4, he, he says, Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. And in verse 5, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. So while men were, were not meant to worship with their heads covered, and, and actually it would bring dishonor if they did, for the women in that culture, the dishonor would come if they were to come into the, the public worship setting without some kind of a head covering. You know, there, there's a clear distinction between the two that's being taught here. And like I said, there, there are certain elements of this passage that, that Paul wrote for a specific time and a specific cultural context. But, but this here, this distinction that exists between men and women and, and the different functions that each gender has, that is not one of them. This, this difference and this distinction between genders is not something that's up for, for cultural debate here. As Paul's talking about these distinctions, he, he specifically bases his comment on the way that God created things to be in the beginning. And, and he does this on a number of occasions. In verses 8 to 9, in, in verse 12, in verse 14, in all these verses, he, he's referring to the way that men and women were made. We were made with these differences in mind. And that, that's not something that changes based on our culture. Going, going all the way back to the book of Genesis, as God was still creating the world, we, we read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We, we were made differently from the very beginning. There is such a beauty in these differences and, and the way that God created us to function. You know, we'll, we'll go into this a little more in a minute, but I want to draw your attention specifically to verse 3, to what Paul says here. It says, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. 
And again, we, we read that, and it can make us a little uncomfortable, maybe, maybe even frustrate us a bit, because we think, what on earth is Paul talking about? That, that the head of a man is Christ, but the head of a wife is her husband. Like, what's he saying there? But I think we see how, how beautiful of a verse this really is if, if you get past that to, to the third part of it, where he says that the head of Christ is God. It's very similar language that's being used here. The, the relationship between man and woman, specifically the, the relationship between husband and wife, it's compared to the relationship that Jesus Christ enjoys with the Father in the Trinity. And, and that's, a, a, that's a theme that we see throughout this passage, as well as in other passages where, where marriage and gender roles are, are discussed. One, one commentator named Stephen Um, he writes this, that the relationship that Christ has to the Father is the ultimately enviable, desirable relationship. And it takes the shape of willing submission. This allows one to see that submission is not a denigration, but a beautiful expression of love. So that, that relationship that Christ has to the Father, that, that is the pinnacle of an example of what a good, loving relationship should be. And within that relationship, there exists this element of, of willing and loving submission. And it's that kind of willing submission that, that led Christ to be obedient to the Father in, in coming and dying on the cross in our place. And so while the marriage relationship, it, it is always talked about in terms of, of leadership on the part of the husband and submission on the part of the wife, that, that is how scripture talks about it. It is never one that is meant to be understood that one person is better while the other person is lesser. That is, that is never how that is intended to work. The relationship that we have in marriage, it is not one that is meant to be degrading or, or oppressive. And sadly, because, because sin exists in the world, there are cases where, where that is true, where, where marriages can become degrading and, and oppressive because of the influence of sin. But that is not the way it was designed to be. It was designed as a beautiful reflection of the love that Jesus Christ enjoys with the Father. And God calls us to worship him in a way that these beautiful distinctions between genders are, are preserved and seen as the beautiful reflection of his love that they are. And so the, the fact that these distinctions exist, that's not cultural. We're called to worship in a way that reflects that. But what is more flexible based on, based on culture is the exact way that those differences are expressed in our worship. And, and this is where we get to, to the whole head covering of it all. Because for the church in Corinth, that, that, that expression of the distinction between their genders came in the form of head coverings for women. For that culture, if, if a woman were to show up to church without some kind of head covering, especially a married woman, that would be the, the equivalent of Elaine taking off her wedding ring before coming to church. Now, that would have, that would have been scandalous for them, and it would have served as a huge distraction in worship. You know, Paul, Paul goes as far as to say in verses 5 and 6 that it would actually bring dishonor and shame. Yeah, you, you look at our culture today and, and head coverings is not really so much a part of a part of our culture that's not really something that we're that we deal with 
And so like I said earlier, Paul is not just teaching us that we have to follow this example of, of head coverings word for word with, with no consideration. And yet we do have in our culture things that, that show the distinctions between our genders. And, and the way that we dress can sometimes be a part of that. And while those differences in, in our world today may not be as, as pronounced as, as something like head coverings in, in Corinth, I want to offer you sort of a guiding principle to keep in mind as we're thinking about how this passage actually applies to us today. And listen to what David Pryor writes, that the fullness of Christian worship can be experienced only as each man and each woman created for God and redeemed by God allow their humanness to be expressed according to God's pattern. And so here, here's the principle. Ask, ask yourself, is the way that I'm expressing myself or, or conducting myself in church something that's going to actively dis distract or, or take away from the goal of our service, which is worshiping our Lord? You know, that's, that's why we gather together on a Sunday, is, is to worship God together. So is, is the way that you're conducting yourself going to distract from that? And that's a, that's a question whether, whether you're a man or, or a woman, do you, do you dress, do you talk, do you act in a way that's designed to pull attention to yourself rather than to God? You know, do we act in, in a way that is going to be distracting either from our worship or from other people's worship? And if we do, I think we may need to consider why. Because what, what Paul's calling us to beneath this this cultural discussion about, about head covering specifically, like I talked about earlier, this, this underlying biblical truth, what he's teaching here is to express our gender in, in worship in a way that is not going to cause distraction, but is rather going to give a beautiful picture of the loving relationship that our genders were created to reflect, this relationship that exists between Christ and the Father. And so we're, we're different. Men and women are different from one another. And there's a reason for those differences, as well as an incredible beauty to the way that God made us. This, this, is, not, this is not arbitrary. There's a purpose to it. Yeah, here's, here's the, other, the other side of that. The other side of that coin that is equally as important to keep in mind Look at what Paul says in verses 11 and 12. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. And so to take that again back to, back to Genesis, as God originally created the world to be, when God created Adam, the, the very first man, he was lonely and incomplete until God created Eve to be a companion for him. Without the woman, the man was incomplete. And in the same way, Eve was created by God from one of Adam's ribs. Without the man being created first, there was no woman. And so while there is a specific and an important difference between how men and how women were created, there is also this, this, this commonality in the way that we were created and the purpose we were given, sort of a common denominator across everyone. 
Because what Paul teaches in the second part of the passage is that even in their differences, men and women were created equally in the eyes of God to complement and complete one another. We, we, we don't just function independently of one another. Whether, whether you are, are male or female, whether, whether you're married or, or single, we all have a common purpose together, which we fulfill by, by functioning together. Note in verse 11, Paul says, In the Lord the woman is not independent of the man, nor the man of the woman. And at the end of verse 12, all things are from God. We were all created differently, but we're completely equal in the fact that we were created by God. We were given life by him to live for his glory. This, this whole passage, it's talking about how men and women were meant to function in, in the context of public worship. And, and, and we've talked about how the beautiful distinctions in our gender should be reflected in the way that we worship but there's another element to all of this, and it's, it's the why of it all. Why, why do we do this? Why do we worship in such a way that we're reflecting this beautifully unique way that God created us? And the answer is that we do it in order to bring God glory in the way that we worship him. You know, that's the common purpose. That's the, the common denominator that, that we all have together to worship the one who created us and bring him glory. You know, if you think about what Paul ha has already said back in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, he said, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do all to the glory of God. And that verse, it served as kind of the conclusion of, of Paul talking about our willingness to give up our rights for the sake of others, that we do it for the glory of God. It was kind of the, 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 the bookend to that section. But as much as it was a conclusion for that part of the letter, it also serves as such a great introduction for what Paul's about to bring up with the church over the next couple of chapters. As he's talking about how we worship and, and how we function in the church, that whatever we do, we do it in order to bring God glory. And the same is true for, for our gender, for how, we, for how we express ourselves, for how we conduct ourselves. Paul teaches us that God created man and woman equally with a common purpose to bring him glory in the way that we worship him. He designed us to complement and complete one another in fulfilling that purpose. And like I said, there, there's a lot of questions about this passage, a lot of questions about the, the different elements of this passage, specifically the, the cultural elements. And, and when we get to the, to the Q&R time, you may have a, a chance to voice some of those questions if, if you have them. I, I can't promise I'll be able to answer all of them perfectly, but there'll be an opportunity to talk about some of those questions. But if I were to try to sum up what Paul teaches in these 16 verses in, in just one quick statement, this is what I would say, that men and women were created with specifically unique qualities and roles which were meant to complement and complete one another for the glory of God. In this passage, Paul advocates for a very careful balance 
throughout. We, we've seen already, he knows the Corinthian church. He, he knows that they are very prone to run to one extreme or the other. They're not really in the middle kind of people. And so he is careful to clearly communicate at the beginning of the passage that men and women are distinct. That those distinctions are significant and they affect the, the way that, that we live and the way that we relate to one another. But in the second half of the passage, he, he's equally clear in communicating, making sure that the church understands the equality that exists between men and women. That even though we were created differently, we were created equally with the common goal of bringing glory to our creator. And he then ends off the passage with a, a verse that on first read kind of seems a little out of left field, completely out of place in verse 16, where he says, if anyone's inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. He acknowledges in there that this is a difficult topic to work through. You know, it's difficult for us to work through today, and it was difficult for the church in Corinth to work through. And he knew the, the potential for people to hear what he was saying, who didn't like what he was saying, to just try to, try to dissect every little word and tear it apart. And, and tear apart what he was saying. And so in, in verse 16, essentially what he's saying is don't go looking for all the little loopholes. Don't, don't look for any way that you can possibly get out of this. Don't be contentious. And yet, in that, he, he's not taking away the ability to ask questions, the ability to, to struggle or to wrestle through these things. And whenever Paul spoke to, to various churches, he would encourage them to take what he was saying and go back to the scriptures to see if what he was saying lined up with God's word. In, in the book of Acts, there's a, a story of uh, a group of people called the Bereans who took everything that Paul said and, and they tested it against the scriptures and they were commended for that. For not just taking his word for it, but actually seeing if what he was saying lined up with God's word. And so in verse 16, he, he's not just saying that people need to take his word for it, no, no questions asked. And the same is true for you, that for everything that Paul says, for, for everything that I've said, I, I want to encourage you to search the scriptures for yourself to see what God's word has to say about these things, about our genders, about how that's expressed. There's a number of places that God's word deals with these things. But what Paul's talking about when he's referring to those who, who are contentious is he's talking about those who've heard what Paul said and decided, I don't like this, I'm going to dig in my heels, and I'm going to fight you tooth and nail, regardless of what God's word says. Regardless of what I find in scripture, I don't like this, and so I'm going to fight it. That's the kind of contentious attitude that he's talking about, that says, I think this is wrong, I don't care what the Bible says. He, he tells them, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. And so instead of this contentious attitude that he's, that he's referring to here, I want to encourage you to remember the last few words of 1 Corinthians 10, do all for the glory of God, including the way that you express the uniqueness of your gender in worship. And to, to kind of bring that all full circle back to the question that I asked you at the very beginning, what, what's going through your mind when you're coming to church on a Sunday? What are you thinking about when you walk through those doors? 
From what Paul teaches us here, the primary thought that should be going through our heads, no matter who you are, as we gather together on a Sunday evening, it should be this, how can I glorify God? How can I act, how can I conduct myself in such a way that I am bringing glory to God? Because as Paul teaches us here, men and women were created with specifically unique qualities and and roles that were meant to complement and complete one another for the glory of God. And Father, I thank you for for the beautiful way that you that you made us unique. Lord, for for the beautiful relationship that exists between men and women and the reflection that 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 is. Father, of of your relationship with the Son. And I I thank you so much that um, we, we have the privilege of, of living that out. And uh, God, I, I pray that you would give us wisdom and discernment when it comes to, to the specific cultural ways that, that we live this out and, and wrestling through these things that, that are difficult. God, I, I pray that you would open our eyes and, and open our hearts to your word, Lord, to, to approach them humbly, not, not with an attitude that says, I think what I think and, and God's word needs to prove me wrong, but with an attitude that says, I want to know what God's word has to say. And I want that to change my life. Lord, you've given us such a gift and, and we thank you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, thanks so much for tuning in today. We hope that this is an encouragement to you. As always, if you want to know more about us and our ministry, feel free to follow us on Facebook or Instagram or go to our website. Thanks so much and see you next time.